0: everybody, and welcome to the second episode of Shared Pages. And uh, we are very excited to be here. I'm Ronnie. And I'm Ian, And we are here to discuss our September book, uh, which was Piranesi. I might be saying that wrong. I've looked up multiple times how to say it because I always say it wrong. Piranesi. Piranesi. And, uh, it's by Susanna Clark, who many of you listeners probably know. She wrote, uh, Doctors Jonathan, Jonathan Strange, and Strange and Mr. Norrell.
1: I also always, like, I combine their names, because it's, it's <laughs> Jonathan Strange. Yeah, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. I used to say Jonathan Norrell and Mr. Strange. Oh, I thought
0: one of them was a doctor for some reason. But, uh, alright. Anyway, that's not the book we're talking yeah. about. But it's her most famous one, arguably, Um, but this is her newest one, Piranesi, um, which came out actually uh, in 2020, I think. Yeah, Uh, when the when the pandemic was happening. So lots of interesting correlations people drew to the book and to uh, the quarantine during that time. Um, but anyway, yeah, this one was really interesting. It was my pick, and I wanted a dreamlike fantasy book for September to kind of get us into the fall mood, and I think this definitely fit. The bill? Um,
1: she also won the Women's Prize for Literature, which is an English-specific prize, I think. Oh, interesting. So, so, like, she she got really good press for this book. Like, people kept telling me, they were like, you're gonna love this book if you like Neil Gaiman. Um, and I just, like, never read it enough was reading other things. So, like, Ronnie choosing just finally gave me a reason to read it.
0: Yeah, and I would say uh, you can contradict me, but if, if If it's not true, I would say this probably isn't one of my normal book choices for reading. Um, but I just wanted some something more like this for I think September. For
1: you. Because you tend to like more complete plots. Like I like Hmm. things that leave like stuff up to the imagination. You might not have a real ending. And this starts off like that. It's very like like limited and, you know, it doesn't (laughs) connect <laughs> necessarily. You're like, what the hell is happening in this book? And then it all wraps up all of a sudden at the end.
0: Right. Right. Um, so, uh, just the first thing that I want to bring up a little bit about reference to this book, it's just kind of like an interesting fact tidbit. We don't to spend too much time on it. I just think it was cool. Uh, Piranesi, actually, there's a famous Italian architect from the 1700s that has that name, Giovanni Battista Piranesi. Um, and of course, many people discuss the reference to that in regards to this book, because he was actually famous for drawing uh, etchings of Rome and fictitious and atmospheric prisons. So, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious when you read uh, Piranesi, this book by Susanna Clark, that um, there was a direct reference there mm-hmm. between the character's name and this, this architect.
1: I... I I knew I recognized the name before we read the book, and then when I looked up the the etchings he does, they I had seen them, and I think I've seen them because people had done on the internet side by sides of them with the Goblin King's player mm. in
0: labyrinth, right? Where she's
1: like running and she's like run, you know, like Scooby Doo style. She comes out upside down and stuff.
0: Right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Some of the some of the art is pretty cool, and honestly, I, as I was researching him a little bit, um. He is an interesting character, so definitely take a minute to look him up if if you want. Um, but some of the art, I was like, I mean, I wouldn't mind hanging this, yeah, up no, like I in like the uh, in the apartment. Especially,
1: it looks pretty nice because a lot of times I like sketches more than like really polished art. Yes, sometimes. and that's
0: what they are. Is they're yeah. like they're it says etchings officially, but yeah. yeah, sketches. That's what they are. Um, but yeah, you could definitely see the house in in this book Piranesi being compared to his work. Um. Okay. Yeah. So, um, if we want to, let's jump into actually uh, the book discussion. Yeah. So, uh, the first thing we'll talk about is the cover of the book, as we do, and um, I mean, it's pretty minimalist. It's a it's a black background, and you can see that it's actually beautiful, kind of reflective bronze, um, kind of swirling wave pattern at the bottom, and then you see on a. I believe is how you say that that word, plinth, like a little statue stand. Oh, I
1: see. I Um, I thought he was standing on top of a column, but I think you're right.
0: Oh, okay, interesting. Um, But on his little plinth, there's the fawn, which there's a fawn. I don't know. Are those panpipes? He's playing panpipes. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. But it's not uh, weirdly enough. It's not how the fawn is described in the book. Mm. But there is a little fawn. I assume statue standing on a plinth with the waves below. Um and as as far as this goes, I was actually thinking um I actually looked up how many times the fawn statue was referenced in this book. Like I I went through as I was reading and kept track of it because I was like what significance does this statue in particular have? Uh it's actually only mentioned twice that I could find. Yeah. And it doesn't seem particularly relevant except for the fact that The fawn seems to evoke more of a sense of mystery and intrigue, which are prevalent throughout the book.
1: And this is probably skipping ahead a little bit more than you want, but, you know, the book has an epithet that references the magician's nephew, which is my favorite Narnia book, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the fawn... Shows up in uh, *Lion of Wish* in the wardrobe. Mr.
0: Tum- Tumnus. 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 <laughs> so
1: I was thinking that the cover was another reference to *Narnia*, and then that fawn showing up twice in the story was kind of a hint towards like the world-building style that happens in this, where you know it's not re- you the ma- the main character is almost literally always going into a completely unknown circumstance. Just like the kids are in there in the well in the Lion Wish in the wardrobe.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's I just wanna read a quote really quick, what the character describes the Fawn statue as. He says, uh, I have always felt that he meant to tell me something, or perhaps to warn me of something. Quiet, he seems to say, Be careful. But what danger there could possibly be, I've never known.
1: I believe that is actually almost a direct quote from the Lion the Wish and the
0: Wardrobe. He says quiet.
1: No, because when when he gets turned into stone by Jadis, ah. and I think that's how Edmund's like internal monologue describes him because he hasn't met Mister. Tumnus yet, but Lucy, Peter, and Susan have.
0: Okay, yeah. See, you, I, I've read the line Lotion in the Wardrobe," but I have a not as great of a memory as you do of of the happenings in it, I suppose. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I'm assuming because, like you said, there is a quote of the from the Magician's nephew in the. Uh, beginning epithet of the book thank you I couldn't remember the word Um, which I'm assuming has to do with a couple of the characters from this book that we'll talk about later um, but if you go in and you hadn't read any of, any of Narnia or any of The Magician's Nephew... Oh,
1: don't worry, I'm giving you a quick breakdown <laughs> of The Magician's Nephew in this.
0: You, you might not, uh, get that little, like, tidbit, that little sneak peek that that kind of gives you to the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the, the cover, pretty interesting. I thought that they picked that, but it seems pretty heavy, uh, Narnia's DS Lewis references happening, so I guess, I suppose it makes sense. Um. Yeah. Okay. So, shall we get into the the book? Yeah. Um. Okay. So basically, um, at the beginning of this book, you're introduced to Piranesi, Pierne- and the world through his eyes. World capitalized. There's there's this structure to the writing in this book where. Random words are capitalized because, I'm assuming in Piranesi's eyes, these things have a more important meaning to him. Yeah. Um, I think it's
1: kind of like, you know, if you're a Christian, you're going to uppercase the G in God. If you're, like, a polytheist or something, you might, you know, you might uppercase, like, Zeus's name, but not necessarily, like, the word God, because there's multiple gods.
0: Right. Yeah, when you first jump into the book, it takes you a little bit to get used to the, the wording, or the, the I don't know, uh, for me it was just like, I was concentrating, I felt so much like, in the first sentence alone, he capitalizes moon, third, northern, hall, tides, ninth, vestibule, like, he capitalizes all these things that normally wouldn't be capitalized, and now uh, you just gotta sink into it a little bit, get yourself in the mindset of the main character. But it
1: helps you... I think, see who is important, or what is important in it,
0: Exactly. He doesn't modify the language to make it understandable to others. He just launches you into his worldview, and you have to kind of adjust to it. um So, essentially, we have Piranesi at the beginning, and he is in, uh he calls it the house. Yeah. And, essentially, it's a massive structure that just, he doesn't even know how large it is, this house. And, It's just endless rooms filled with marble statues. And below, in the lower levels of the house, um, there are the tides, which is the oceans, essentially. And there's three main tides that he talks about. Um, It's very dangerous down there, but it's also where he goes to like fish and kind of provide for himself. The second level of the house is mostly where Piranesi stays. Uh, kind of where he lives, and then the upper levels of the house are the clouds, and he doesn't go up there that often, it sounds like, but you can see clouds there, there's birds that fly around, and it's just, um, you can see light and stars and such from the windows, but there is no outside, from my understanding. It's a completely closed-in structure. Um, and it Piranesi never, in the beginning, never talks about how he got there. He never talks about how there's only him and one other, who he refers to as the other in this world. And he, he doesn't really seem confused by the fact that it's just him and this other man. And he, he's found some skeletons, but uh, it just makes sense to him, innately. Like, even though he doesn't remember how it came to be. He just trusts the house implicitly, as if the house were a deity or a living thing itself. And as we are relying on Pierre and Nacy as our, our narrator, um, we kind of just have to go with it and just try and hope that things will be explained later on. So that's where we start out in this book.
1: At the beginning, I thought that his just kind of... You know, not caring about, not even necessarily that he doesn't care, it's just that he's like, I'm here, and that's what matters, um, was like a, like an allusion to prehistory where like, you know, written language all of a sudden shows up and we just don't really know anything before that. Like, we know people were there, we just have no way to access what they were doing. Right. And right. like, so he's kind of the hard like stopping point where he's like, all of a sudden I knew how to read and write and I can tell you these stories. But none of the people before could. And I kinda only know that they're there and they're
0: dead. It, exactly. Yeah. He. It. It seems as if he's like. It's not really important. The the past necessarily. He he does place a lot of uh, respect on the dead, even though he doesn't know where they came from. Like he never knew those people. He just found them after they were already deceased and. Um, goes through a lot of rituals. Um, and he seems to have a general understanding of how to write and stuff like that. But he, he never questions why or how. Yeah, you know. Um. Okay, so then let's talk a little bit about the other as well. So the other is the other person. Uh, it sounds so dumb. Yeah. The other is the other person. The other is that. like
1: the antagonist, but also the only other character for a large period of the
0: book. Now, um, as an anthropology student, (laughs) I thought the naming of him as the other was kind of interesting. Because, you know, when you learn about uh, cultural significance of, you you know, you learn of, like, your tribe and then the other. And that's kind of how, that's like a general term that they use when discussing, like, how people make divides uh, between themselves and the other the societies but in this sense the other Piranesi doesn't think of him as an other he thinks of him as his like only friend yeah that exists in this world so that that was a little strange to me because initially my mind went to oh the other like he's he's a, clearly a bad person right cuz it's the other but uh no Piranesi uh, he is a scientist it seems. And Piranesi uh, doesn't really know where he lives in the house. He just knows that he's there sometimes. And they run into each other and the other will ask him for help on things, where to find things in the house. Seems like he doesn't travel that far in, but Piranesi never really questions it. He just thinks he's like a coward that doesn't really place that much uh, importance on exploration. So, um... But you do initially kind of get this sense, even if Piranesi in his innocence doesn't seem to feel it, that the other condescends to Piranesi a little bit.
1: He's got that, like, at the beginning, that kind of, you know, Ivy League, Oxford, Cambridge condescension of like, oh, you're working class, or oh, you went to a public school like feel. But, like, you know, you don't know anything else about him. He just feels like a professor who thinks he's better than you. Right, Because exactly. he's had a more expensive education.
0: Yeah, he's like, well, actually, I have a PhD uh, in this study, even if, like, you had lived it. So yeah. it's like, you might be actually more of an expert on it. Yeah. So, Which is definitely the kind of sense you get from the other with him in Piranesi. Because you know Piranesi has, like, traveled all of these halls and detailed them and the other is kind of you you learn early on that the other is looking for uh shoot what do they call it
1: knowledge it's like
0: the great the great and ancient power or something like that is what they refer to it as i I don't remember the exact term but um piranesi is like yeah I'll, i'll help him with it and and uh, I, I guess he's, like, pretty cool because he brings me stuff sometimes, but you can tell that they're not exactly compatible uh, personalities yeah, yeah. necessarily. Um, okay, so that's that's the beginning of the book, basically. It's honestly, it's kind of, it's a little slow, but not really, because you're you're just kind of getting a sense of what is in the house with Piranesi.
1: Yeah, like, we both said this when we were reading it, is, like, so at first, when I got through, when I was reading Paranay's section, I was like, "Okay, like I kind of enjoy this childlike wonder," and then I slowly kind of just was like, "I, right, I need something." And then you read the you read the others section, and it's it's more steady, but I still didn't love it. But then once you get through there, the plot just starts to shoot off.
0: Yes, definitely. Um, and I think the beginning of the book is is definitely. Setting up the house because you get a lot of description of the statues so there's not just the fawn statue there's the uh he talks about the gorilla statue quite a lot actually more than the fawn is talked about and um he goes into like these deep descriptions of the statues and he assigns like meaning to each of them depending on what he kind of feels when he looks at them Kind of, I think, how you would if you went to like an art museum and you were like, oh, this piece really evokes like lust or something like that. It, it almost seems like that's what Pierre Nacy is kind of doing to these statues. Like he's kind of looking at them, cataloging them, and assigning a, a meaning to them. Um, okay, so yeah, so then it's just uh, Pierre Nacy and the other in the house for uh, quite a while. But then um, something happens. You can tell the other is like slightly agitated. And he tells Pierre and Nacy that somebody else might be coming to the house. And he tells them, if this person comes, don't talk to them because they're going to try and make you go mad. And Pierre Nacy is at first excited because he is talking constantly about how he wishes there were other people house, and he's kind of lonely, obviously, because he's, like, the only one there. Um, And that is, I think, I don't want to skip ahead too much, so just stop me if there's something that you wanted to talk about before this. That is when we get to the section that uh, includes the prophet.
1: Yeah, the only thing I want to say is, and this is something, I, so I know Susanna Clark has a collection of short stories I haven't read, but she talks, or she does this in Jonathan Strange, too, is that there's, like, Certain things you can only understand by being a little mad. So, like, you know, characters in her books are sometimes insane, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. And, like, insanity can have uses at some points, it seems. Mm-hmm. Which I just think is really interesting. Or right. Mad Hatter.
0: Right. Um. So, that is the, so then we get to the part of the book where the prophet arrives, the third character in the book, um, and Piranesi is not too sure who this prophet is, but he is pretty sure it's not the person that the other warned him about. Now, in classic Piranesi style, there's not really anything... To actually inform Piranesi of this, this is just like a gut feeling he has, and he just goes with it. This just yeah. seems like something that Piranesi does. He's just like, he's just like, well, the other warned me about this other person coming, but it's clearly not this old guy that's here. Obviously, I mean, this guy looks like really frail. He couldn't make me go mad, you know. Um, so Piranacy just like assumes things and is just like, that might be, that must be right, um. So, he he meets this person, and the person kind of speaks in terms that Piranesi considers cryptic, because he just doesn't understand a lot of them. Like, he uses terms that Piranesi has kind of no idea how to contextualize it, such as place locations, like the word Manchester, I think, and he says, like, police station, and Piranesi is just like, I have no idea what that is. Yeah. But... He, he does feel like, it feels like some kind of curiosity is awakened in Piranesi. And at this point as well, I think Piranesi wants to speak to somebody else because he has kind of become disillusioned with the other's search for the great and secret knowledge. Because the great and secret knowledge is apparently this power that's going to give him the, like, it's, the other says it's going to give him the ability to control other people minds, make him fly, make you, like, have, like, all these, like, crazy powers, you know, like, and at one point Piranesi is just like, but what would I do with that? There's no other people here. Like, what's the point?
1: And it's very interesting, because I showed you recently, um, the video of, uh, the guy who wrote V for Vendetta.
0: Ooh. Um, that is a good trivia question. Ellen Moore. Okay. Ellen
1: Moore. That's driving me nuts for a second. Uh-huh. But um, you know, and it, he's a self proclaimed like magician, but he writes all these super in depth, really cool stories like for Vendetta and uh Swamp Thing and all that and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Um and he talks about like, you know, what what would be a, the real equivalent of a magician today and he's like it's a really charismatic bar. 'Cause they can make you believe anything. And, you know, what is magic but making a lot of people believe the same thing at once. So, like, you know, people using television to broadcast some kind of message to millions of people at once getting all the things the same thing is like the closest thing we have to magic now.
0: Right, right. So it
1: Which is like what um the other I keep almost accidentally spoiling his name. Um kind of seems to want to do, and I wonder if that character was kind of influenced by Alan Moore because in like the lit world Alan Moore is like massive, you know
0: right, yeah I mean uh he might be I actually honestly don't really know who this character the prophet right is who you mean uh I'm assuming he's an amalgamation of well
1: yeah the prop- different
0: cult leaders and just kind of he it, it, Later in the book, you get more into this character, and he seems, he's a seedy guy. Yeah. He, and,
1: yeah, I don't know, it's very weird, because neither the Prophet or the other are particularly likable characters, but it's, there's, there's such interesting people that you just, uh, I guess I'll keep learning about it.
0: It's just like kind of one of those things where it's like this is very interesting, but you are just so pretentious, it's, and like, it's almost like the
1: draw of true crime where you don't know why you're watching it. You're just like someone got brutally murdered, but I need I need to know every detail. Like, and that's just how they are.
0: Like, yes, yes. And as far as uh, spoiling the other's name, that's actually one of the things that uh, the prophet shares with Piranesi. He. He tells uh Piranesi that the other is a Doctor Ketterly. Yeah, and up to this point, I I guess um the other has not told Piranesi what their actual name is, or re- retold told them. Ooh. Yeah. So um, but yeah, so I thought that this exchange between the prophet and Piranesi was very interesting because it essentially kind of introduces a new worldview to Piranesi's world because he has not had anybody else that he's interacted with. And he kind of sees that, like, maybe the other or this Dr. Ketterly is not the person that he thought it was, which is his, like, tried and true scientific companion that's been helping him explore the house. Maybe he's a little bit darker. Uh, He also definitely picks up that the prophet himself is maybe not... The best guy. Um, But I did think that this was interesting. They discuss the great and secret knowledge, which I see on this page now as I'm looking at this. And the prophet essentially tells um, Piranesi that Ketterly got the idea that this knowledge was here from him because he was his student. The other was the prophet's student. And the prophet tells Piranesi it's no longer here if it even was ever here. And he describes it as water flowing underground, flowing through, if it flows through, the same cracks every year, year after year, and wears away at the stone. Millennia later, you have a cave system. What we don't have is the water that originally created it. And I think it's really interesting because Piranesi then says, is that why there are the statues? And you can tell that the prophet is like, I. he says, I never considered it. But he says, Piranesi says, do the statues exist because they embody the ideas and knowledge that flowed out of the other world into this one? And the prophet is like, that's a very interesting theory. He never thought of it. and And I think this is something that continues to come up as people are kind of trying to hypothesize about what this house could be, you know? Um, and also just the the plethora of statues that exist here could potentially be ideas from the other world or worlds that have leaked into this house and might potentially still be expanding the house because he is he, at the beginning.
1: Yeah, and so, he, the prophet even says, like, maybe really deep in this house, there's, like, computers being built
0: now. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, and, like we are get there. I want to get through, like, the main plot first.
0: Yes. But We're halfway. Sorry. <laughs> there's, like, a
1: very, very deep connection to the specific spot in The Magician's Nephew that relates to this. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um. So just, like, honestly, his conversation with the prophet is only one chapter, and then the prophet, like, leaves and is like, all right, peace, I'm not coming back here, but it was good talking to you. I just kind of wanted to check it out. Um, but he does name drop a lot of people, and it kind of awakens this curiosity in Piranesi to potentially learn who these people might be. And this also makes um. him a little
1: bit more of an asshole, because when you find out what he truly knows about this place, he just discovers this man. That it would be like if you were lost in the Amazon, and like not a part of any people who naturally live there, and you've just been like surviving off bugs for years, and someone walked up on you and was like, oh, hey. And then they were like, oh, "All right, bye, I'm so going yeah. back to civilization. Yeah. I'm not
0: taking you with me."
1: Yeah,
0: that's basically what it is. And like, if if you didn't already like later in the book, if as you learn of the prophet's true nature, if you didn't already get that sense from him essentially abandoning Piranesi here again, you you'd learn later on he's not a great yeah. guy. Um, but okay, so the prophet name drops a lot of names. And Piranesi keeps, as I've said, these very detailed journals where he indexes everything that he writes about. And so, essentially, he goes into his journals and starts to see if he can find these names, which he's like, I probably won't find them, because, like, they didn't sound familiar to me. But he does. He finds these names, and he also... uh, I'm, I'm trying not to mix up timelines here. I think this is when he realizes that his journals that he had marked as, like, 21, 22, and 23 journals are actually journals 1, 2, 3 that he had, like, uh, changed. Or or they're his 1, 2, 3 journals, but he, like, crossed off the 20 part of it. Yeah. Um, And in these journals, in his handwriting, there's, like, detailed biographies about some of the people that the prophet discusses. And I believe in this part, he also learns the name of the prophet through connection is a man named Lawrence Arne Sales? Sales?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I'm not really sure how I pronounce that. Lawrence Arne Sales. Damn you,
1: Anglo Saxon sensations.
0: <laughs> and he is essentially. I how would you describe him? He's a doctor of. What do they call him? I
1: don't even know. I would like because he's he's almost an occult studies person, which is why I think he's related to. He's he's inspired by Crowley. He's inspired by the man whose name I've already forgotten. I remember twenty seconds ago.
0: What the heck is that guy's name? Uh, the author of Alan Moore. Alan Moore. God damn it! <laughs> Every time you click on the Google page to Google it, you just remember his yeah. name. Anyway, I can't, They use an official term. But essentially, like anarchist thinking, or like not.
1: Oh, it's it's like transcendental thinking. Something
0: not like not apparently. Essentially, you're not thinking like an army. Yeah, basically is what well, it is, and that's so. This is
1: what is really interesting about a lot of philosophy is sometimes like, like you can go to school and study philosophy for thirty years and get a PhD, but that doesn't really make you a philosopher because you only know what other people have thought at that point. You have not thought of anything innovative or different and that's why like the difference between uh Lawrence and Valentine is like Lawrence while still an asshole actually managed to do something and he's not just a derivative of another thing here
0: oh interesting yeah I guess I never really thought about it that way but yeah the Valentine or Dr. Ketterly I don't think we said his first name yet because but uh, Piranesi does learn his name,
1: uh, in the, journals.
0: in the journals, and, um, he, he is essentially a copycat scholar. He is what essentially I would refer to as, like, an armchair anthropologist, where he's kind of just, like, read other people's works, and all of his success has come off of, like, what he's read. He hasn't really done anything on his own. But Lawrence Arn Siles is a horrible person. You discover he's kidnapped multiple people. Um, he essentially runs, like, a cult, uh, where he teaches this way of thinking that's not, uh, normal, I guess, and he has shown other people to this house where Nasi is, and you get that through tidbits where it's, like, the- one of his students actually made a film that was clearly filmed in the house, uh, but at the time, people didn't know how they had done that, you know? Yeah, like,
1: or if it was even, like, a real place. Or even
0: if it was a real place, and or if it, yeah. There's
1: real movies like that. Like, people who claim they, like, went to another world and filmed it. And then, like, film editors and stuff are like, you know, you could make this. But at the time they made this, it would have been, like, a blockbuster.
0: It would have been crazy yeah. for them to do that. Yeah, so you kind of learned about, and the, the big thing that you learned about is that Lawrence Arons-Siles, uh went to prison because they discovered a man in trapped in his house um, that essentially had gone crazy and was talking about living in this labyrinth-like house that was filled with statues and had an ocean in the basement. And uh, you're just kind of like, "Hmm, okay, so this is where Piranesi is right now. And um, is Piranesi Piranesi? And Piranesi is kind of also thinking that, but he's trying to not think about it too much, I think, because he knows that it could... Essentially, lead to a big mental break on his part if he thinks about it too deeply. Um, this
1: just occurred to me. Siles is also very clearly Merlin.
0: Okay, yeah, I suppose so. If Merlin uh, was a huge dick, oh, and most
1: legendary <laughs> kind of he kind of
0: is. is a huge dick. Uh, but yeah, that basically Lawrence Arn Siles is that person. Uh, but he seems like with his followers, he appears very charismatic, and people. Uh, what what is the word? Uh, I'm I'm drawing a blank. Where you're really attracted to somebody that's very intelligent. Oh, say so bisexual. It seems like the, people are very like they're drawn to him in, in that way. Like he's very intelligent, and they're attracted to him because of his intelligence. Kind of and thing. Like,
1: you know what what time period would he have been doing this? Because it's, I it's, think it was
0: the 70s. Okay, the, the 60s 90s. or the 70s. Because because
1: like in the like early 1900s. And like kind of on in France and in England, being an academic was kind of like being a rock star. Like if you were, it like was the friend,
0: hot thing. Like you know,
1: like I've said this before, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but like Camus and Sartre's friendship breakup in France went viral, and before there was any way for things to go viral because everyone knew who they were.
0: Right. Yeah. So he he is kind of like a a little bit like that, I suppose. Um. So. Piranesi starts looking into his journals, learning of these people that the prophet has mentioned, all at the same time kind of being aware that this uh, other person that the other warned him warned him about, who Piranesi refers to as 16, because, uh, I should have said this earlier, Piranesi found 13 uh, dead people, or skeletons, in the house, so he refers to them as the 13 people, and then he's 14 the other is 15, and then he's waiting for the 16th person. Um, And so Piranesi is waiting for 16 to show up. And while he doesn't show up initially, or this person doesn't show up initially, the other is kind of, like, getting more and more paranoid, Dr. Ketterly, the other, and he's kind of like, look, Piranesi, this person is dangerous. I think I'm going to buy a gun. And if this person shows up, I think we just need to just kill them. And Piranesi is like, absolutely not. That's the kind of vibe I get from him. He's like, why, why would we kill this other person? I don't want to take a human life. Um, but you can tell that Dr. Ketterly is kind of like very scared of this person coming here and discovering, uh, Piranesi, the house. We're not really sure. Um... But that brings me to the part of the book where essentially 16 figures out how to get to the house and is leaving Piranesi messages. And per Dr. Keveli's or the others' warnings, Piranesi has not been reading these messages. He's been erasing them. He's been trying to avoid uh, looking at them, but he's been noticing that the 16th person has been in the house. Um. And at one point, um, she leaves him, or they leave him a message that essentially just says, in all capitals, in written in Stone, so that it can't be easily erased by Piranesi, are you Matthew Rose Sorensen? And as Piranesi reads those words, he, uh, he essentially suffers the mental break he's been trying to stave off up to this point, I, I feel. I feel this is, like, the turning point of the book.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is... It's, it's it's like, you know, they dropped his backstory in his brain all of a sudden.
0: Yeah, it just is like, he he sees those words and he just is like, I... I think I am? Am I Matthew Rose Sorenson? And he kind of has these memories flood back to him. And, um... He, the next chapter after that is actually really interestingly titled, it's just called I Am dot dot dot, yeah. and I just thought that was really cool. And I, I <laughs> kind of
1: thought that was, like, <laughs> a reference to two things, which is, like, "Cogito Ergo sum," like, I think, therefore I am, mm-hmm. but also Deep Thought and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like that, exactly. Um, and... He is, it just shows him kind of asking himself, he's like, are you Matthew Rose Sorensen? And he's like, I am, I am. Like, he's, he, he can't think any farther than that. And then to tell himself, to calm himself down, he says, I am the beloved child of the house. So kind of falling back on his faith, essentially, that he's had up to this point, which is just belief in the house, that the house will protect him. And he kind of, like, calms down. And then he says, like, I am... Piranesi, but he also doesn't really believe that anymore and he is not really sure who he is, but he knows that he believes that he is a child of this house. Um, so, uh, so that that is the big turning point. So after that happens, it takes him a minute to be able to do it, but he looks up the name Matthew Rose Sorensen in, yeah. in, in his journals. And this is where we get the first real look at who our narrator actually is or was I guess if you're if you're thinking of it in his own terms you know um and you realize that Piranesi is also Matthew Rose Sorensen and he is kind of a student of um that anarchist thought that that off the beat, like, that different way of thinking. Like, he is trying to research this on his own, essentially. And he, you you know that he, the reason he has all these biographies of people is because he's trying to write a book about different ways of thinking. And so he's researching all the students of the prophet Lawrence Arnstiles, and that's how he had all that information. And you realize that at one point he went to visit the other in our world, the normal world and he went to visit Dr. Ketterly to get information on this way of thinking and trying to get a little more information on Lawrence Arns-Isles. So um, This is where we actually learn that the way that Piranesi or Matthew ended up in the house is he goes to visit Dr. Ketterly. Dr. Ketterly asks him that, this is just a huge warning and I just had to as I was reading it, I just had to think to myself, this was a female character, would they have said the same thing? Dr. Ketterly goes, did you tell anyone you're coming here? And Matthew Rose Sorensen goes, nope. (laughs) Nobody knows I'm here. I just came here to see you because I want to talk to you about your your school of thought a little bit. And uh, I imagine almost Valentine Ketterly doing like the excellent yeah. like the, the
1: mr. Burns. mr
0: burns evil guy thing because he's kind of like all right yeah here uh you know what you want me to show you the ritual that we used to go to this this other world this labyrinth that you've read about and matthew Rose Sorensen is like yeah i don't think it's gonna work but sure like let's try it and then of course they do the ritual and uh Matthew Rose Sorensen's gets teleported to the house that we have been in this whole story, and we discover that he was actually just a normal person, a young student in his mid twenties. I'm yeah, assuming. I think he's young. like 25 or something, and um, or maybe like 22, younger than that. And uh, essentially, Dr. Ketterly traps him in the house, and he wanted a young. He said he wanted a young male. That he could use to essentially trap in the house because he felt their mind would be better, like able to survive. Essentially,
1: yeah, because the space like deteriorates your memory. You eventually seem to just go mad, but it affects people differently.
0: It affects people differently, and it seems like because Matthew or Pir- Piranasi, his mind is so logical, and he catalogs everything so efficiently in his journals that somehow helped him hold on to some kind of sanity. But in order to do so, he had to forget that he was Matthew Rose Sorensen. Yeah. As he was in the house. And essentially, you kind of... You kind of get the look at how he kind of deteriorated into who he became, and... How Dr. Ketterly had just been using him to get information on the house as he was trapped here. He didn't want to explore it. Because Dr. Ketterly was afraid to go farther into the house because he knew what it could do to the human mind. Mm-hmm. Um, And.
1: I mean, and that's also what Lawrence Siles says too. He's like. He's like, yeah, I'm not staying long. I know this place is bad. Bye! Yeah,
0: and also, it's like we said earlier, essentially, Ketterly got this idea because Lawrence Arn Siles had done something similar where he like would trap people in the house because they wouldn't know how to get back, essentially. Mm-hmm. They'll, because he had been the one to kind of show them the way. And it is a little interesting, the way that you get there... It it seems like there's a couple different paths. One is you could just go back to a place before you had... Before your mind had essentially become too entrenched in reality. So the way that Lawrence Arn Siles did it is he went to his childhood home. And he kind of tried to put himself in his mind state of him when he was a child. And then that's how he got to the house. But the way that they did it with uh, Dr. Catterley and Matthew is they kind of made a room dark and focused on a flame, and then kind of let reality essentially disappear around them. I also thought it was really interesting that they didn't have to believe that it would work well, for it to work. It just happens, you I, know?
1: I think that's kind of like a reference to teaching, because... It it reminded me of an American Gods when, I can't remember her name, but this girl has like a monologue that's super incredible, but she says like, you know, I believe that planes stay in the sky because we believe they will stay in the sky. Mm. And so like- I've heard that before. You know, like, um, so someone has an idea and whether or not that idea is true, like it can like almost be like an infection in people's brains um that's true yeah and like you know despite his theory being true and them finding the house he like not everybody is capable of having that kind of thought without training so like the rituals they do are like ways to focus your mind in the right direction for achieving whatever you need to achieve and that's kind of what education is is like you know, you're put in the room, and people talk to you about things until you have grasped them in the enough of a way that you can apply it to reality.
0: That that's a really good way of putting it. Now that now that you describe it like that, so yeah, um, so so he, he figures out how he got there, and essentially at this point. Pir- Piranesi, Matthew, he's not sure who he is, this this other person perhaps, I kind of feel like honestly this character compartmentalizes his identities a little bit just as a way to try to hold on to his sanity, you know um, he is just like the other, Dr. Ketterly is not my friend he trapped me here he's been lying to me this whole time and he's like, I gotta find 16 after all this time that I've been trying to avoid them because the other because Dr. Ketterly told me to. I gotta find this person. Um, And he kind of com- confronts Dr. Ketterly a little bit. Yeah. But without telling him that he knows who he is, and he's like, look, you, you gotta, you, I know that you were lying to me, kind of thing, and uh, Dr. Ketterly honestly just seems too obsessed with his own paranoia to really care. And he's just like, I don't really care about this right now, we just gotta kill 16. Um, so then that brings us to essentially the, the end of the book, um, basically, um, where 16 arrives in the house and it's a woman and Pier and Matthew is not really sure who they are, but they just know that they trust them over yeah, they Dr. Trust more than the
1: They know that they trust them, them more than,
0: Yeah, than the person that's been lying to them. And there is a very climactic like altercation that occurs because on the day that 16 is going to arrive, there's also going to be a convergence of the tides and they're going to kind of flood the middle halls essentially. And Piranesi knows this because he's studied them so detailed, you know? Um, and Ketterly wants to try and use that to his advantage. Essentially he wants to, He he's brought a gun and a boat, and he intends to either shoot sixteen or watch them drown. Um, but Piranesi is not going to let that happen. So there is a very climactic altercation where essentially Piranesi kind of like grabs sixteen and is like, "We gotta, we gotta get up high. The tides are coming. It's like happening right now." And Dr. Ketterly is, like, chasing them with his gun, and they run up and kind of take shelter behind a horned giant statue. And as, as in typical Ketterly fashion, he never took any of Piranesi's warnings about the floods very seriously. He never really listened to Piranesi. Well, he, he brought a boat. He brought a boat, but, like, as even as it's happening, Piranesi is like, you gotta get in your boat. You gotta get up high. We don't do this. Like... Don't be so obsessed with, like, murdering 16 that you, like, end up dying yourself. See, I thought,
1: like, he took the right precautions, but he was like, I've got two options. I kill this person now, or I get arrested, or I have to stay here forever. So he was like, I can't not let them- I can't not succeed in killing them, otherwise the rest of my life is ruined.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah, I guess- I guess you could definitely say that, and, uh, basically, his- Dr. Ketterly's own obsession uh, essentially leads to his demise, as he is trying so hard to chase them down, he ends up getting separated from his boat as the tides are coming in, and he can't get back to it, and he essentially gets bashed against one of the walls by the waves, and... um that is where and then and he gets pulled under under the water the, as it's happening there and seems
1: to be like a kind of like cosmic joke that the boat kind of comes closer and closer to him and then it's like see ya
0: yeah it's almost like the boat is kind of like you're not worthy of being saved to actor yeah. Ketterly kind of thing where they the way it's written it's kind of like the boat dances like away from him almost like jokingly um but they live and 16 reveals to Matthew Piranesi. I'm not really sure how to refer to them. They have so, there's so many different names. Yeah. <laughs> but And you discover 16 is a woman named Sarah Raphael, who's actually a cop that had been kind of uh, working the cold case, I guess, yeah. essentially, of the disappearance of Matthew Rose Sorensen. And I suppose she had just kind of been interested in his story and what had led up to his disappearance, and, um, I think it was something like, uh, another person that had disappeared came forward and was like, look, I know where Matthew might be, um, because they had been captured by Arn Siles, I think? Yeah, yeah, and
1: they had been working in, like, a museum or something
0: no. and, and when they learned that Matthew Rose Sorensen disappeared, they were like, well, I gave them the information of Dr. Ketterly or something like that, and- um, that's what led her to him, and you just kind of get the lowdown that like Matthew has a whole family and friends and everything waiting for him back home, and he's been gone for six years. Yeah, which is a long friggin' time to be in that house. I would assume. I I was wondering if he was the one that had lived the longest in the house. Probably.
1: Right, yeah, almost.
0: Because it sounds like everybody else like went crazy or was killed. Because like everyone in the house. else
1: has disappeared around this cult that Siles has made. And it seems, that, like, they tell you he went to prison. Right. And it seems like he, those people disappeared, like, all around the same time and just d- never came back. And it seems like a relatively short period of time.
0: Yes. Um, so she asks him to come back to the real world with her, and uh, he's just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's just like... I am a child of the house. I'm not really Matthew Rose Sorensen anymore. I don't want to go back. He's a little scared. Um, so some time lapses. He kind of takes care of Dr. Ketterly's body. He spends like a month kind of like essentially like preparing himself. And then he decides to go back um, with Raphael. Um, and I don't know. I don't know how you want to wrap up the ending because I think the ending it's kind of
1: just him re into society a little bit, and also, like, I do think the ending, while it dragged for me, is, like, a little important, because it's kind of uh, a discussion of, like, I am the me that exists at this moment, but I am also the me that existed in the moment prior, and, like, up, you know, as far back as I have ever existed. And all of those memes have very different personalities because they knew different things at different times and had different concepts going on on like, their brains of enterizing. So like he's kind of like, I am Matthew Roar Sorensen. I am Piranesi. I am like the child of whoever. And he's just kind of trying to figure out how to put all of those pieces back together. Because you're usually not aware... Or not, like, right. like not thinking constantly that you're, like, I existed 10 seconds ago. I existed 10 seconds ago. But he's got, like, this kind of split thing going out of his brain.
0: Right. And it's honestly, I think he is, like, doing a great job for somebody who's been through what he's been oh, through. Yeah. And, like, and I, I honestly was, like, amazed. He was, like, I'm going to therapy. My family wanted me to. And I was, like, sure, I'll go. And I was just, like, man, this guy is doing really well for, like, what he has experienced. um But I did think, I, I don't know about you, but I... I I thought the last chapter was interesting, um, because he essentially is describing a scene that he's seeing on the streets of the real world, um, as he's going to a cafe to meet Raphael, the cop who saved him. Um, and he's, like, describing it, and he's, like, one of the, he's, like, some of the people that he passes, he says that they almost resemble statues that he had seen in the house. And as he describes, like, the scene of, like, the wires strung across a courtyard and paper lanterns and kind of, like, the description of the scene, he ends the chapter by saying, The beauty of the house is immeasurable. It's kindness infinite. And it just kind of made me feel like, maybe it's just, like, him being, like, in order to deal with being back in the real world, I have to think I'm still in the house. But I kind of thought about it as, like, he's just saying that the world is just another house that, like, he was trapped in. But instead of statues, they're actual people. And you're getting, like, in real time... The, um, the ideas that the house encapsulated, you know? The
1: name of that section is It Began the Snow, right? Yes. I think that's another Narnia reference, because Jadis is the White Witch, where it's always Fair enough. always yeah. Christmas, but it, or always winter, but never Christmas. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, that's the, the him moving to the next part of his life.
0: I, I didn't think about that, but you know what that probably is? Because it is kind of littered with, like, references to uh narnia and c.s lewis uh type things in here so that's that's very true yeah
1: um and like we knew this was going to be a little bit of a longer episode because the book has a lot more i don't want to say depth but it's considered literary fiction which is more about the character than the actual plot and you can talk about the characters forever
0: i mean and there is just like there is a lot of like metaphor or like things that you can kind of look into to find the deeper meaning in this book. If you really wanted to, Mm -hmm. like you could take the time to, um, so for this book, did you, did you feel that it had a really specific theme? I honestly kind of struggled when I was looking at like the six common themes in literature to pick a specific one. Um, but I kind of landed on maybe something to do with identity because he deal the main character deals a lot asking about who he is what makes him distinct from another the difference of existence um and also survival because he's kind of like surviving in the house the survival of ideas that exist in the house things like that yeah i think
1: it's it's almost man versus nature but it's more like man versus cosmos Right, because I mean I guess cosmos is nature but it's just bigger like we we know nature on like a very small scale right um and like yes Ketterly is an antagonist but it's more about it's almost cosmic horror to the point it's like when you experience the universe on the like level of the universe, you know, like this huge mind-boggling scale. How do you put yourself in the place instead of like just being like I'm one human in this spot instead of it's like I'm literally less than a dot. It's
0: like I'm a speck of dust fo- floating in this huge astral sea of yeah. you know, yeah, it's definitely like I feel like it definitely deals with stuff like that. Yeah, like so.
1: it's 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 about like the continuation of the self as you learn more, um, and sometimes like, and I've like heard scientists say stuff like this too. Is like there'll be like, you know, the more you learn about nature and reality, the more it almost seems like God keeps teasing you because you're like, I found this incredibly small piece of like reality that can never be anything smaller, and then like a year later, someone's like, eh, there's something smaller, and it's like God keeps dropping <laughs> oh, a little th- bit. Th- Oh, More. you thought yeah.
0: <laughs> something smaller, yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, th- this is kind of a tangent a little bit, but it is something that I wanted to touch on. Just some, it's like a interpretation that I had made, but I wondered if you thought the same thing. Is a lot. It talked about how the world was a dis- distributary world. Mm-hmm. Um, how it was created by ideas flowing out of another world, and. A lot of times, Piranesi, Piranesi looks at the statues for guidance. And I was wondering if that could be a metaphor, as, I don't know if that's the correct term, for when we look back on history to gain insight on how to deal with issues. Because if this world is ideas that had flowed from the other world, and you're kind of looking back, and sometimes he would, like, there was a statue of, like, two kings playing chess, and he would kind of, like, look at those statues and kind of be like, what were they thinking at that time? Like, how can I kind of embody that? Um, um I think
1: it's an allegory. And so this is also like going back to Narnia.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: So the magician's nephew is like Ketterly is literally Ketterly from the magician's nephew.
0: Right. You told, it's the same name of the character. Yeah.
1: yeah. And she just kind of changes him. She makes him way more insidious. Um,
0: he is insidious, that's for sure.
1: But Ketterly and the magician's nephew has a grandson named Diggory who, and he lives near a girl named Polly and you know, they start playing together. And they sneak into Ketterly's like, lab and Ketterly has developed rings that will take you to another world. And he puts them on um they they he gives them to the kids and they put them on and it takes them to this big white space where there's nothing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know this, first of all, like, he still sucks. Like, he just sent these two kids <laughs> to another dimension with no way to get back. No
0: supervision, back. no way to help them. Yeah. No, yeah. Um,
1: but just for, just for science.
0: <laughs> for um, science. And
1: while they're there, they see Aslan come walking out. And I believe Aslan's singing. And as he's singing, trees are growing. And then there's puddles. And as he, like, touches the puddles, like, worlds form in those puddles. And I think the house is that place from Narnia. I mean... I think they call it literally like the world between worlds.
0: That, I mean, that's a great theory, like having that background, because, I mean, there's water. It's white. There, you know, like... Uh, I mean, so it's essentially you're saying, like, there might be other doorways in the house that would go to the other worlds. Maybe Piranesi just didn't find them. But, like maybe this is that space where Aslan kind of creates other worlds. If 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 Susanna Clark is going, like, hardcore off of C.S. Lewis mythology yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Because, um, like,
1: you know, the... The... What happens in, like, the Magicians After You Slash Lion Witch and Wardrobe is that they go to uh... Narnia after Aslan has, like, made it. And Polly and Diggory are. Well, they accident, accidentally go to Tarn, which is like a dying planet where the White Witch lives, and they wake her up, and she's stoned. She's been turned to stone.
0: Did they wake her up. And. <laughs> That's why you don't mess with. <laughs> comes
1: back to London, and. They basically eventually force her back into the world. But world. So she ends up in Narnia. She takes over Narnia and becomes the White Witch. And Polly and Diggory bring back a sapling? Some kind of tree. And grow it. And it um, gets cut down eventually. And as an adult, Vigri has it made into the, the wardrobe. wardrobe. And that's how they get to Narnia. So it kind of is like these worlds never really touch. But the certain people who have figured out how to move between them sometimes accidentally make them touch. And it kind of... I, I don't want to say screws up because the Chronicles of Narnia is like very you know, it's religious and it's like a purpose for everything. Right. But like the way the worlds mesh is intentional and it just seems like things from each world end up in other worlds for a reason um, that we just don't understand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess yeah. I, I Again that's if like we're assuming that Susanna Clark is going really hard into the C.S. Lewis mythology but we don't know if like, we can assume all we want. You know, I'm sure she probably had... I didn't want to, like, look up that stuff, because I didn't want it to, like, inform my
1: uh, yeah, discussion yeah. of
0: it, but, yeah, definitely could see that. Um. Okay, so... uh, I guess, like, I'll just... Uh, did we have a takeaway from this book? Do we feel like the book taught us anything... Did it make us consider anything uh, in a new way? Did we feel the ending was fulfilling? Uh, what, what, did, what was your feeling at the end of the book? I just,
1: I mean, like, uh, it's basically the same thing as the main theme, is that, like, the house is everything. It's not just, like, Earth or Mars or whatever. It's every piece of reality that we can experience. And, like, you just have to appreciate the spot that you're in a lot of the times. But then, you know, and this is kind of going back to one of the books of the month at work that we have, but they say, like, memory is the human, human ability to speak with the dead.
0: Mm-hmm. So, like,
1: you know, we're constantly learning from the dead and also using what we've learned to appreciate the house at that moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, definitely uh, made me think about like, as Piranesi was always thinking about his place in the house, and he, he always would say the thing, like, the house wants somebody to exist in it, to kind of observe it observe it, and appreciate it, and it kind of gave it this sentience and kind of... I, I don't know, maybe made me think a little bit about, like, at the ending, if Earth is, like, another kind of house, and, like, are we meant to be here to, like, appreciate it and observe it kind of thing. Um... And uh, I I think it was good overall.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed it. There was, like, moments where I was, like, pick up the pace a little bit, but it's not that kind of book.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, overall, it wasn't that long. It was only, like, 200, um... Yeah, I think 245 pages. Yeah, it was only, like, 240-something pages, I think, and it was it like it was a quick read honestly um but i i definitely enjoyed it it definitely had the vibe i was looking for that kind of fantastical dreamlike uh kind of feeling with also some kind of like action excitement moments in in between um so uh unless there's anything else you want to discuss about the book i want to give you your chance to say your piece no, before I, I, I cut you off
1: i think i'm good
0: <laughs> um what would you recommend this book as what would you rate it? What would would you recommend it to somebody? I think
1: I think I would be very specific on who I recommend this to.
0: For sure. Because if
1: someone's looking for like a, a beach read, this is not it.
0: <laughs> Unless you want to experience cosmic horror as you're sitting yeah. on the beach and you're but, like looking at the sand and you're like, Am I a grain of sand in the <laughs>
1: My initial thought is that this is like a 3.5 out of five for me. But I think if I reread it I would like it more. Because okay. this is one of those books where the first time you read it. You're just figuring out what's kind of happening. But I feel like if you reread it, you're seeing more little details that, like, make Ketterly worse, Styles worse, but you just couldn't pick up on them because you didn't know what they were at the moment.
0: Uh, It's interesting you did a five-point scale. I think I did ten points last time, so I'm gonna go off of ten Uh, this time again. I think I would give this, like, a seven or a 7.5 out of ten. Mostly because it was definitely fitting the vibe of what I was looking for. And... It did lead to some very interesting introspective questions, which is what also I was looking for. And although there were some slow parts, it was a fairly like like you could you could sit this and, yeah. and read this in like a day if oh, you really yeah. wanted. Like um I thought it was good. It was like fast paced enough and um Kind of made me curious to maybe check out some other Susanna Clark. Uh, I think she only has.
1: Two I think
0: she does. She only has uh Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, and then there is another A one in the back here. Of
1: short stories. The
0: The Ladies of Grace Adieu and other stories. Is it? Yeah. I do. Um, which I've never heard of that one, but um, yeah, I kind of the same thing. I would definitely just think about. Who I recommended this to. It might yeah. not be for everybody. Uh, but I liked it. It's a Um, book that's
1: like a mood, you know. It is a
0: mood. It's a vibe. Yeah,
1: because you can't always be on. You can't like most people are not one hundred percent all the time being like a philosophical thinker, right? right. And if you are not in that mood, you're not gonna have fun with this.
0: On the flip side, reading something like this, if you just like general fantasy, it might get you into thinking about like, oh, maybe I want to look a little more into some philosophical ideas, you know, that kind of thing. If you hadn't uh, dipped your toes into that before you know yeah yeah um but yeah like overall this is really good and i i enjoyed reading it and uh yeah yeah
1: that's uh... so uh next month which is tomorrow we're starting the southerner's guide to slaying vampires by grady hendrix because it's spooky month
0: yes um spooky
1: i know almost nothing about it except that people love it And I really wanted to read their second book, which came out recently, which is The Final Girl Support Club. But I was like, yeah, start with their first book.
0: Yeah, so we're going into the October book, Pretty Blind. So it'll be exciting to see uh, what that one is. Um, But yeah, definitely uh, let us know what you thought about this. Leave a comment. Come see us on our Twitter page, Shared Pages Pod, uh, where we kind of update uh, routinely with uh, updates on our reading and what's going on. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to hear what you guys thought about this. If you have your own discussion topics that you'd like uh, to bring up. Yeah, make sure to leave a
1: review if you're interested, because it really helps. Um, and we're also live five days a week on Twitch at twitch.tv slash So, you know, we'll see you next time.